This is Rating Descending. Where we watch IMDb's worst 250 movies so you don't have to. My name's Michelle St. Clair. My name is Abigail Watt. And this week we watched Jason Goes to Hell, The Final Friday. But Ser- it wasn't The Final Friday, was it? <laughs> we'll, we'll get to that. <laughs> Serial killer Jason Voorhees' supernatural origins are revealed. Let's watch. <laughs> Speaking of uh, the final, the the final Friday, the most final Friday of all, final Friday of high school. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> this is the worst segue I've ever heard. <laughs> oh, on this show, that's the worst that's segue it. you've that ever takes heard. It. That's the worst that takes one. The cake. At least I made an attempt. Okay. <laughs> no, I've got... you segued from nothing. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, the intro. You know, the music's gonna come out, and people mm. are like, "What? Are, what's what's happening now?" And I'm like, "Let me let me move the energy." Hey guys, while we're here. Let's uh, let's shuffle everyone over uh, to this little c- cage I've got. I, cage. I worry that that's what talking to me is like. What are you doing? Like. What are you? Who are you putting us? I I just I worry that that's what it feels like talking to me. Is that it's just like a little everyone's trapped. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to talk about that? <laughs> yeah, I think that's what we're doing. People feeling trapped. No, no. I think I think I just start with the assumption that I'm unpleasant to chat to. <laughs> Oh boy! It's okay. I can cut it out. It's fine. We don't need to air my personal grievances. <laughs> this is like the time when I was joking about my grandma that died, and you were like, "Are you okay?" And I was yeah. like, "I'm fine." This is like that. I guess Are you it, okay? <laughs> no, it's just sometimes I start talking on this part. Look, I work from home on a computer, right? You've got a lot of pent up shit to say. Well, that's that's the thing. Sometimes, for example, uh, my darling girlfriend Brooke is at university all day doing her beautiful design degree that she is fucking nailing and then in the evening has to do work. So I I will not talk to anyone from the moment she leaves at like 7.30 until she gets home at like 11, right? And sometimes then when she gets home, I clearly go a little nuts and she just goes, oh, baby didn't talk to anyone today. (laughs) Baby didn't say anything. And I'm like, yeah, I guess I did. (laughs) Like at home cabin fever. (laughs) But I mean, Brooke also has a bit of pent up energy sometimes. She yeah. literally gave you a hickey just because she was stimming. Yeah, <laughs> stimming. Guys, you ever you ever give a hickey just to stim? Yeah, Michelle <laughs> described it to me as we went to go get a coffee right prior to this. And she was like, it wasn't even like sexual. No, she, not at Brooke all. She just had a lot of energy. <laughs> yeah. And decided to suck on my neck. Her biggest, like the thing that she loves doing is just humping, which is why the saying around the house is, you ever just fuck to stim? Because it's not, it's not even fucking, it is, it is humping. She will just grab and hump. She is I just, a, a I, frat boy in I a woman's body. that you're going to a high school reunion with a hickey on your neck. I guess it's appropriate. Well, no, it's not. It's a complete reversal of my time in high school. <laughs> Dude, you had a girlfriend in high school, that's right? That's true. That's pretty, I know she was fucking crazy. She was, she was not impressive. healthy as a person and she didn't go to that high school, but it, I guess it you was still impressive. still get a bit of street cred for having a girlfriend. I gotta yeah. say, like even, I feel like in high school, there was some people that i was like i didn't think they would get a partner and when they did i was like whoa look at you go yeah i could have said something more cruel there but i held it back just that was case. your less cruel yeah re- re- that was me <laughs> you was mentally me reviewed and you edited it down to i was impressed that some people have found someone who liked them <laughs> yeah dude we were 14 yeah we all sucked and we were ugly <laughs> okay yeah. Everyone had like all the guys had like the first traces of facial hair. And oh it looked yeah, grotty as it everyone looks had braces. Awful. We had spotty faces. Like teenagers are fucking foul. Look, the the probably should be edited thought that came out of my head was I don't understand pedophiles. Kids are ugly. That's exactly what I was going to say, and I didn't say it. I didn't say it. I was like, that's a that's a joke too far. But um, wow, Michelle, wow. I'm saying I, really, I don't get whoa. it. They're ugly. <laughs> It's actually what Claude said to me the other day. We went past like a bunch of teenagers coming out of high school and he was like, I don't get pedophilia. No, they're children. They're, they're literally so, ugly. They exude the opposite of sexual energy. 
10 years out of high school, dude. Yeah, 10 years out of high school. For both of us. For both of us. 2012 alumni. Yeah. I would never go to my high school reunion. Fuck the lot of years. I get that. I told my mum that I was going because there was a chance I was going to stay with her. And instead I'm staying with an old friend and I get to see my goddaughter, um, (laughs) which is going to be exciting. But I told my mum that I was going to my high school reunion and she just said, Good on you. You know, that's I'm really proud of you. That's really brave of you. I think that's that's a that's a big big thing for you. And I'm like, I didn't even say it took a lot for me to decide or anything. She just out of the gate was like, Wow, you know, I I think that's really neat that you would go to that. And I'm like, I this isn't quite patronizing, but I, I definitely feel like I'm being told that I'm a fucking nerd who shouldn't go. Yeah, I didn't think of it as a huge social achievement, but uh, <laughs> what do you think of me, Ma? I, I was like, I, I guess it's a big thing. No, I mean, look, to be fair, I was the, the, the bottom... A bottom rung implies that I was on the ladder. I was next to the ladder looking at people on the bottom rung while they were like, get down. I kicked the ladder over. Oh, my God. I spat on it. I set the ladder on fire. Oh Watch God. them all burn, baby. I guess because I said rung, I was thinking of it as a rope ladder. Whoa. Which you wouldn't really be able to kick over. Is it mm. still a rung on a regular? This is good. This it's is good podcast. definitely a rung on a regular ladder. If anything, it's more of a rung on a regular ladder than it is on a rope ladder. What? Why? 100%. Why do you have that Because a traditional ladder is not made of rope. It's made of wood. Right, but... And so a rung on a ladder is more traditionally well, a wooden no, slab. You're working from the assumption that rung is the default term for a step on a ladder it is is it yes or is it just for a rope ladder and with a wood ladder it's a step it's definitely not it is a rung on a wooden ladder why are you being so declarative when you because don't I fucking know, the know i'm right you know okay. the other night claude tried to question if kalua was in white russians and i was like yeah it's in white russians and he was like no it's just vodka and milk and i was like that sounds disgusting the- it's definitely not and he was it's like i'm 100 percent <laughs> sure i'm right and i was like i'm 100 percent sure i'm right and in the middle of the bottle shop i made him look it up and then i told him to apologize to me <laughs> you know i just the thing that upsets me more than the idea that he didn't know that Kalua was in a white Russian. You know, people don't know things. It's that he assumed that the amount that everyone who was like, yeah, I love a white Russian was just having vodka and milk. Disgusting. My dislike of milk is well documented on this podcast. That sounds foul. How did you go with the wrong? Um, look. I was a, right. I'm you a big, I'm a big woman. You know, <laughs> I'm, I'm willing to admit that I'm wrong. <laughs> It Did is, you stutter on that word? Was that hard that, to that get out? Wrong. <laughs> no, just say it again. I couldn't quite hear you. Were you uh... A rung has several definitions. One of them is one of the cross pieces of a ladder. Correct. Another, though, is a heavy staff or cudgel in Scotland. What's a cudgel? Uh, it's a different kind of, you know, like a, like a club. Oh. You know, describing words is hard because you tend to know them, like, contextually. A short, there we go, a short, thick stick used as a weapon semicolon club short thick stick used as a weapon i guess that suggests sounds that- like my husband to me am i right up 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 all right i'm up but we're too far away sounds like a dick. i'm not leaning over for this one all right <laughs> my husband <laughs> no one made any of my wife jokes at my wedding it's because you made them all way in advance yeah <laughs> and i think more than anything it's that you couldn't make them so it was up to claude i know like we couldn't make them because you specifically were. That was the day <laughs> that you, you weren't our wives. Married a man, right? <laughs> you fucking idiot. No, but that's the th- like that was the day that it was decided. No one but Claude could call you my wife. True. You know. True. Whereas at at my wedding, <laughs> I will be just going my wife all day. You fucking bitch. Hey, before we living move, living my dream. Yeah, I, I I am living your dream inside all day. Not yet married. <laughs> <laughs> No one to talk to. <laughs> Hickey on my neck. Brooks is his arm. Before we move on, though, I wanted to talk. We have another, like, uh, audience send-in thing. This one an is... An email? Well, this one's actually not an email. What is it? Yeah, I got I got sent on Instagram uh, from Vira. Oh, this is in particular regarding when I said I looked high and low to find who the fuck Matoichla is 
no clue. From our bonus episode uh, about Breaking Dawn Part 1 and 2, where one of the reviews I read out was like really aggressively, it was, uh, this is my first review in IMDb. What I really liked about the Twilight Saga, Breaking Dawn Part 1, is the action and suspense. The other Twilight movies have none. To Matoichler, you rated the movie 0 out of 10 before watching it. Just because you think that the vampires should be like Dracula, since you're a Twilight hater, you can't judge the movie. It's called the stupidness when you hate something, and then you came to rate it 0 out of 10 without watching it. So this is referencing that. Uh-huh. Vira, she found Matoichla and sent me Matoichla's uh, IMDb profile. They left, this is now quoting her, they left three reviews all centered around November 2011, which lines up with the retaliating review on the podcast. Unfortunately, the review appears to have been deleted, which is why I couldn't find it probably. And she didn't have any luck finding it on the Wayback Machine. Oh, and glad to see the return of the podcast. Additionally... Uh, a different user, King of LOTR09, <laughs> King of Lord of the Ring09, uh, gave another 10 out of review. Oh my God, I really can't believe that this is the first amazing Twilight movie submitted on the same day as the review I read and also seems to make a combative reference to Matoichla's review. For the guy that rated the movie 0 out of 10 just because you like Dracula and hate Pattinson, well, first, I don't think you have the right to rate the movie 0 out of 10 without watching it. Two, if you're a fan of Dracula, go watch Dracula and let people enjoy their time. I hate when people rate something without watching it. This is just stupid. 10 out of 10. I'm confused. I don't understand whose review was whose. So, Matoichler left a review. No, so that review from King of LOTR09 yeah. and a review I read in the Breaking Dawn episode from David001-1988 yeah. are both referencing a review by Matoichler, which on the episode I, tr- I said, and I did, try to find who the fuck Matoichler was yeah. and who they were referencing and couldn't find any trace of it. Mm. Vira yeah. found Matoichler, but the review appears to have been deleted. Right. Which is why I couldn't find it. Right. Bummer. Going out and finding the actual IMDb user who did the review and and other reviews referencing it is exactly the kind of hyper-specific pedantry that I've always said, that's what I want from the audience of this podcast. Definitely. Like, get a life, but never change. Like us. (laughs) Like, we could be doing way better things with our time, but we won't. We'll be here (laughs) every week. Sometimes when we get, like, people sending in, I can tell who's listening for me and who's listening for you. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Because they're really cool chads or... So we love Abigail. Yes. She's so sick. Yeah, we haven't read through the tens of reviews going, I love Abby, her big blobbies inspire me every day. Oh my goodness, how could you see them? I'm modest now. I'm, I'm a married woman. Well, most of the episodes are from before you got married, so that's when it was just tippies Tips out. display, <laughs> nonstop. Hey, speaking of tippies out. Tippy out. This week we watched Jason Goes to Hell, the final Friday. But he didn't go to hell, did he? No, he did, right at the end. The very end is Jason going to hell. I just have a lot of gripes with franchises where they're like, this is it. He's done. I think this is... And then they're not done. I one time had to miss a trivia night for a friend. And so to make it up to him, I invited him and the other people from the trivia night around and I wrote my own trivia questions. What is Michelle's favorite color? (laughs) What is Michelle's favorite movie? They were still (laughs) movie-based trivia questions. And one of them was how many Friday the 13th movies call themselves the final one. It's only two, but four of them have been marketed as As the the last one. Yeah, I'm just shocked that they do actually generate enough of a commercial profit in order to warrant a sequel. It doesn't make sense to me. Well, Jason Takes Manhattan and this one didn't. Yeah. (laughs) Which is why this is like the beginning of the bigger and bigger gaps between them. (laughs) Yeah, the beginning of the end. Because how much time elapsed between this film and Jason X? Jason Goes to Space. Uh, I'm pretty sure. I'll double check, but I'm pretty sure it was about a decade. Wow. Yeah. So this came out like early 90s and then Jason Goes to Space was 2001? Uh, was yeah, I think it was actually 2003. Oh, here, I got it. T- Jason Takes Manhattan was 89. Yeah. This was 93, which yeah. marked the first time that it was more than t- one or two years in between yeah. sequels. Then Jason X was 2002. So ah. nine years later. Yeah. And Freddy vs. Jason was 2003. Yeah. And then nothing until Friday the 13th, 2009, which was the reboot, and then nothing. It's funny because I want to say that, like, oh, man, I can't really remember Jason Goes to Space enough. <laughs> I love However, that you always call it Jason Goes to Space. Because he it's did. just called Jason it's X. Jason Goes to Space. Because I, I don't remember it enough 
But at the same time, every other Friday the 13th follows the exact same formula. So if you remember yeah. the key details, like they're on a ship, they're in space, a woman gets her head completely smashed when he pushes it into like, what does he push it into? Nitrogen? Oh, in that one? Yeah. yeah. He, pu- he pushes, he like flash freezes her head and then yeah. smashes it apart. So if you remember these key details and gory deaths, you kind of know what happens. Which notably you asked me to turn into a TikTok and I was like, a woman's head explodes. I I don't <laughs> I think, think they'll, they'll let us to, post yeah. that. <laughs> Do you reckon Insta Reels would allow you to post it? Oh yeah, anything goes <laughs> oh, on Insta. Sure. As long as there's no titties Well, we it. should tweet it now that Elon Musk has made comedy legal again. Yeah. You've saved comedy, man. Obviously, we're pro Elon Twitter, despite <laughs> everything we've ever said on this podcast. Mm, mm. Now we're fully in his camp. We're under his control. <laughs> it's it's Elon's world, and we're just living in it. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen Jason versus Elon? It's coming out in 2023. It's crazy. That I would fucking watch. <laughs> yeah. That I would fucking watch, because they would both go to hell. Because <laughs> notably at the end of this film, after Jace's spoiler defeated again yeah. for the last time, his mask is lying in this like bed of sand and a dog comes over to sniff it. And then Freddy's hand reaches out of the sand and pulls the mask down. Yeah. Which is indicating that there's a spin-off movie called Freddy versus Jason, right? Well, he- here's, the- here's the thing. I'm going to delve into some of my trivia now because yeah. I have like raw one levels of trivia, oh. like pages of it. There's so much about this Can movie. Can we like revisit raw one soon, by the way? Oh, <laughs> yeah, that should be a bonus. Yeah. Raw one, a retrospective. Yeah. <laughs> raw one, two years oh, on. Take two. Yes. Right? Yeah. <laughs> That's our That's new great. bonus. Se- our Patreon That's series is take two. Um, <laughs> we revisit it. We just keep going in this cycle. It's just- Once we finish the list, we start again. <laughs> How did you find it this time five years old, Michelle? Rating descending too. <laughs> <laughs> it's not that this is teasing Freddy vs. Jason. It's that Freddy vs. Jason was actually the one that was meant to be in development after Jason Takes Manhattan. Oh, and so what? I mean, you're probably going to talk about this later, I suppose. But Well, I, this is what I mean. I have so much trivia that if I completely explain all of this now, I lose nothing. I still have a full <laughs> trivia section. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Like, the whole deal is that this is around when Paramount owned Friday the 13th and Jason Takes Manhattan and everything for the first eight movies. Uh-huh. And then Cunningham, what's his first name? The guy that directed the first one, who then became the maniacal producer of every Friday the 13th, wanted to do a Freddy vs. Jason. And to make that happen, he had to, like, rather than get the rights to uh, Freddy, he instead sold the Friday the 13th rights to New Line. New Line, eh? Which is why that, like, he then couldn't get it made and the script was really bad, so that got kind of shelved. But now that New Line had Jason Voorhees, sorry, not Friday the 13th, Jason Voorhees, they started to make their own ones. Right. Which is why this isn't called Friday the 13th Part 9. It doesn't mention Friday the 13th because they only have the rights to Jason. So that's why it's Jason Goes to Hell and Jason X is both of these are the New Line movies where they don't have the rights to Friday the 13th, just Jason Voorhees. I gotta say, like, New Line Cinema would have been far too busy in the mid-90s screwing up the island of Dr. Moreau to be able to focus on Friday the... Sorry, Jason. Yeah, this is their flop era. Yeah. (laughs) This is when they just wasted money out in, like, the fucking tropics with Marlon Brando. Fucking leaking money everywhere. (laughs) They they had nothing left after that. Trying to make Island of Dr. Moreau and Freddy vs. Jason and Jason goes to hell <laughs> screaming into the into the void can anything save us <laughs> which I think eventually they made something that was big right Lord of the it? Rings Lord of the Rings right yeah. Lord of the Rings kind of saved them didn't it I'm sure it did it must have after everything we're talking about it must have um, Cunningham even wanted Tobe Hooper and um, oh what was the other fucking Tobe guy Tobe Hooper yeah, Tobe Hooper. He was the guy that did um, te- Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah, his name's Tobe. Oh, Tobe? Yeah, it might be short for something. Is it like Tobias? W- Willard Tobe Hooper. Was Toby just too quaint? Did he need to remove the sweet little E at the end and just go for a straight Tobe? Yeah, but maybe it's one of those things where it's from somewhere. Like, maybe it's like, that's the historical Scottish version of Toby or something. You know, that sure. kind of thing, right? So his name is to- Tobe Hooper and John McTiernan, who did... Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but John McTiernan did Die Hard, Last Action Hero, Hunt for Red October, all of that shit. He wanted either of them to do Freddy vs. Jason. (laughs) (laughs) 
and instead got Adam Marcus, who I'll tell you about more, but he is <laughs> no one. <laughs> so we're doing Freddy versus Jason as a bonus episode, right? We have to, we have right? To. After like doing the circuit of the worst of the worst, we have to round it off by doing Freddy versus Jason. A hundred percent. We never have to do another Friday the 13th, let alone the reboot one. You say it as if I'm not enjoying them every time they pop up. I look forward to the Friday the 13th. I'll miss them once they're gone. It just gets worse from here. But it's this, like the end of the Friday the 13th is a dark era for us. This quartet it represents all the worst impulses of them. It's just going to be like, yeah, you know, like when we watched the actual original one, it is not a good movie, mm. but it's like, yeah, you know, it's fine. Like, Kevin Bacon gets gets an arrow through the throat. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. It's not as, like, ridiculous It's not. Silly. It's not. It's a pretty straightforward teens go to a camp and have sex and drink a lot, and then yeah. all the women get killed in some naked sexual position, and that's fine. Like, it's so weird on reflection that it's held up to the same standard as Halloween and Nightmare on Elm Street. The first trashy. of each of those are genuinely really great Yeah, movies. but Friday the 13th is trashy but it's, i remember loving it's, it as a kid but revisiting it as an adult you're like oh this sucks it's a camp classic pun intended yeah <laughs> i feel like there's at least eight goosebumps books that were like loosely based on friday the 13th there's always like a family yeah. that go to like a summer camp on the like during the holidays and then someone gets lost in a canoe and then someone sees something in a forest there's like eight of them yeah it's always someone gets killed and no one notices and then someone gets killed and it takes a while for them to notice mm. and then four of them die in quick succession and then the last two struggle and then one of them dies but then the final girl, the only one who didn't have sex, beats beats the baddie. The pure, sweet, nerdy, virgin girl. Yeah, and then, and th- and then there's this period where they go like, let's pretend the last few movies didn't happen. None of it matters, mm. you know. Um, let, me, let me just get into the overview. Yeah. We're getting fully into it already. Yeah. All right, so some of the key details. I already mentioned 1993 release. The director was Adam Marcus, whose only other notable credit is Snow Days. Did you ever see that movie? No. That was an indie movie that I did see at one point. I remember nothing about it. It is exactly what it sounds like. It was mm. done for Disney. Mm. Um, it's starring John D. LeMay, Kane Hodder once again. Re- All right. Re- rating Descending All-Star. He was in Jason X, right? Yeah, because yeah, so, Kane Hodder is just Jason. Isn't he in Jason Takes Manhattan as well? Yeah, yeah. yeah. What, like, so this is a third appearance, as well as Carrie Hegan and Stephen Williams. Leslie Jordan's also in it, which is such a delight. Uh, R.I.P. because he died recently. Yeah. yeah. It was great to see him as a younger man. I mean, yeah. Michelle has shown me this morning that Leslie <laughs> Jordan was actually hot as a younger man. Really quite hot. Up- Leslie Jordan Young, you'll see he has this feathery brown hair and a great moustache and a hairy chest. And you're like, cool. You're like, I was saying he's not quite a bear because he's so small, but he's like a cub. Yeah. He's like a hot cub. He also looks like Robin Williams because he has yeah. the same feathery hair and moustache yeah. and hairy chest. It's a good look. It's a great look. You know that guy got so much dick in the 70s. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. And then didn't tell a soul. No. <laughs> and then became a quaint little old man. <laughs> Just uh, total antithesis as he got older. Yeah. It was like former self. Yeah, because it's the same thing. It's just big, goofy guy energy. Mm. It's just we attribute that to be quaint when you're old. I guess so. You know? He wasn't even that old when he died. Like, yeah. he was younger than I thought he was. I thought he was older than he was. It's because he he looks old. He aged really quickly. He must have smoked like a fucking trucker. <laughs> it's just all that dick. Yeah. <laughs> it's a smoking pipe for that many years. A dick a day brings the doctor even closer. <laughs> Even even faster. Right, moving 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 on. <laughs> Budget for this was three million and it made fifteen point nine. It's not bad. So that's what I mean. Like this is a relative lack of success for Friday the Thirteenth, but is still like that's how it keeps going. Is they make it for fucking nothing. I just feel like yeah, it does make sense that it's a commercial success and that I can imagine so many kids in Midwestern towns being like, let's go see Friday, like, let's go see the new Jason film on the weekend so that we can make out in the cinema. Yeah. You know, it makes sense. Literally. As well as, like, that This that doesn't even account, like, the home video market. Can you imagine how many fucking times this would have been rented? Yeah. Oh, bro, we gotta go rent Jason Goes to Hell. Yeah. You know? And, That's- like, being, like, under 15 and not being able to rent it, so you've got to get your big brother's friend to go get it for you. I take it back. New Land were raking it in. They were. Fucking home video. Now they're, they're <laughs> nailing it. It's all the money that they then lost three years later. Yeah, on Island <laughs> of Dr. Moreau. <laughs> Here's the full overview. A few years after Jason's apparent death in Manhattan, kind of, 
<laughs> he, he is found once again stalking women in Crystal Lake. Love that he just goes back. He <laughs> He's over Manhattan. He goes He's back. He's homesick. <laughs> like, like, what boat did he catch back? <laughs> That's the movie we're missing is the other, like, minor cruise. He We've got to make Jason homecoming. Yes. 8.5. Yes. <laughs> Jason's homecoming, 8.5. That's the, the spin-off comic <laughs> I want. <laughs> it's it's Jason takes Manhattan, but in reverse. He but starts he, in goo, and then yeah. he goes back. He has a lot of thinking to do, though, so he doesn't kill anyone. If anything, he just poses as stuff and really reflects on what he did in Manhattan. That's terrible. And he realizes that, like, the big city life just isn't for him. However, <laughs> he is caught by a secret FBI raid where he is shot, burnt, and exploded, finally killing him and ending the threat to the camp. However, while examining his remains in the morgue, the coroner eats his still-beating art. No reason given. Allowing oh, he's Je- clearly possessed, right? Well, the possession happens after he eats it. He looks at the heart enchanted and then quite literally kind of shrugs, almost mugs the camera and then just grabs it to Does he fully do, like, chow down. Does he in the office? He's like... He's this close to jimming the camera. Yeah, yeah. Um, allowing Jason's soul to possess him. <laughs> That scene was graphic. (laughs) It was a graphic scene. Uh, He makes his way back to Crystal Lake, and after a handful of killings, he attempts to possess a local waitress, Diana Kimball, but is stopped by Stephen Freeman, who had been warned she was in danger. However, Diana is still killed in the process, and Jason's escape leaves Stephen taking the blame. In jail, he meets Bounty Hunter, this guy was introduced earlier on a news broadcast, Creighton Duke, who tells him Jason is trying to track down his two remaining blood relatives, Diana's daughter slash Stephen's ex-girlfriend, Jessica Kimball, and Jessica's own baby, who are both the only means of killing him as well as resurrecting him. I love that Jessica Kimball is the ultimate heroine of this film. Yes. But she is not introduced until like, what, 40 minutes in? Yes. So late in the film. Because you, I thought it was going to be Diana. Yeah. I thought it was going to be the older woman. You you kind of almost think it's going to be Duke for a while. Yeah, Creighton Duke does shit all throughout most of the film. It, it's like Psycho slash Fargo, but instead of it being like William H. Macy for the first 40, it's four different characters. Yeah. Or, or also, I mean, really it follows Stephen, not Jessica. Jess- Jessica becomes the hero in the third act. Yeah. <laughs> You're not going to believe it, but this film doesn't have good structure. <laughs> Stephen, I mean, we're, we're only at, like, I guess the midpoint. Stephen tries to break out of jail and warn Jessica, narrowly saving her from a body-hopping Jason. However, she doesn't believe him and leaves him stranded on the side of the road. She heads to the police station where they send out men to try and find Stephen. However, Jason appears and kills almost everyone in sight, with an appearing Stephen and Jessica narrowly escaping. After a stop by the diner... Uh, where Jessica's daughter is. I just realized why they go to the diner. After a stop by the diner where Jessica left her daughter, or baby, they head to the Voorhees Manor. (laughs) Sorry, that's such a funny thing. Uh, Voorhees Manor, where Duke has taken Jessica's baby to instruct her that she can kill Jason once and for all using a mystical dagger. After, After managing to cut off Jason's head through other means, a machete, They are attacked by the snake-esque demon baby inside, who then possesses Diana's dead body that was under the floorboards, fully reviving him. However... Fully reviving... Jason. Yeah. However, uh, after an extended fight, Jessica manages to stab Jason through the heart with the dagger, finally killing him as he gets dragged to hell. That's the end of the movie. As a longer overview, because, like, a lot... It's, like, five episodes of Mm. something it's Mm. it's so piecemeal but it's all gibberish without each piece yeah i mean it's all gibberish with each piece but you know i couldn't just go a revived jason gets stabbed in the heart with a mystical dagger by jessica kimball and (laughs) creighton duke and you're like what she stabs him in the heart with that dagger and then later on she just sees it sticking out so she just kind of punches it in i think that's what gets him because he got he's got he's so thick he's a yeah, he's a thick boy. You know, and that's why, like, I was thinking when they introduced the dagger, that's a really long dagger. <laughs> and now you get why. Yeah. It's for, Jessica, it's for uh, Jason's incredibly thick frame. <laughs> Actually, a fun thing that is also, I'll extend in the trivia, but that dagger is fully from the Evil Dead. Oh, is it? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. I saw the Evil Dead for the first time last year at the Coburg Drive-In. Evil Dead 2? Anyway, it's in the Evil it was, Dead franchise. It was fine. It was just, like, it was unremarkable. Lots of, like... 
vivid red it was almost like a very friday the 13th kind of film yeah but it's but it's but it's like what it's doing with the camera was not how you made movies like that before uh-huh. it's like it's it's like going the story back- sucked sure i mean yeah but you could also argue the story of night of the living dead sucks but at the time it was a whole thing uh. you know what i mean like it being a comedy horror and moving like being a roller coaster camera ride was yeah. not like a kind of movie I at that point. I seeing it at the drive-in and being like, "This is kind of boring." And Claude was like, "Yeah," and then we just made out. I, but dis- I guess that's the purpose of the film. I disagree. That's okay. I disagree. That's fine. I think it's a good influential movie. I think it's influential. Yeah. In the way that, like, I think Friday the Thirteenth and its own way was influential. It just wasn't very good. <laughs> Okay, I. Okay, we agree that it's influential. We disagree at the why. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you're like it's it's influential, even though it's kind of. No, I definitely agree that like if the ta- if you think the camera techniques were like revolutionary for the time, yeah, that's cool. Again, I just mean the story. I felt I found the story was boring. That kind of and like I said, that kind of horror comedy was a relatively novel concept at the time. So that that like modernized it. I will say, Night of the Living Dead has a couple of different things in it that I think make it still stand out. As interesting. I, Especially I agree. Because I think of the, the fact that fucks. they have a black protagonist yeah. in it, like a film that was made in what, 68? Yeah. That's incredible. Which is which is also funny because it's it famously wasn't even an intentional political statement. Mm. They were yeah. just like, he was the best, most articulate guy for the role. Yeah. And they were and, <laughs> and that ended up being huge, which is great. And the depiction of like that older white woman that yeah. almost like villainizes him and she yeah. becomes the villain in turn. That's so interesting. Well, yeah, because it laid the blueprint for zombie movies in general and also the the real villain is people mm. and, and the way we turn on each other thing that yeah. is still done in like Walking Dead, you know? Yeah. It's great. That's a great movie. And I like that there's a lot of things that you could attribute to like, oh, well, it just happened to fall into place in the in X and Y way for Romero. It's like, yeah, but then he did Dawn of the Dead. So he followed up by going like, no, he... Dawn of the Dead was fantastic. Yeah. The atmosphere of that film, it's remarkable. Yeah. And like just I, the the visual of that film as well. I think that like the... Like the, the story, it was like somewhat slow, but the idea of them being bottled into this shopping center yeah. and just like the weird, eerie despair, just being stuck inside this place while the world is falling apart. That's great. I, honestly, when I was a teenager, George Romero was one of my favorite directors and mm. favorite people after first being introduced to him because I wanted to know what the sample was in the gorilla song M1A1 <laughs> where they sample Day of the Dead. I really liked Day of the Dead. Yeah. Day of the Dead was fantastic it's as well. Cool. They're all good films. Yeah. I just didn't like Evil Dead very much. Sure, that's fine. We're talking about Jason Goes to Hell. Yeah. There's so much to unpack with this because this is one of the most batshit fucking movies. I just have to say my personal favorite mo- like moment in this entire film is when Jason is like in the hallway of a hospital, I think, and he grabs two guards' heads and just smashes them together. And not even that hard, but their faces kind of rip off and they mm. just crumple to the ground. That's like my favorite nonsensical gory moment. That's in the police station. There police are two station. guards in the hospital, which I was going to say... Fun fact, one of them is Kane Hodder. Hmm. I don't know. The later Friday the 13th kind of like play with play with themselves. And it feels <laughs> masturbatory because it's not good. But like, it's like having Jason X, you know, there's the bit in the simulation where they're like, oh my God, we're, we're topless virgins yeah. to like tempt him. Similarly, this begins with like what feels like it's going to be the most rote thing of like, oh, she's in the camp and she's getting naked. And that's when... He comes out and literally we find out that's an FBI sting operation because yeah. they're like the way to get Jason is to pretend that we're campers. Yeah, and then she like <laughs> runs through this field. She traps him and he gets completely torn apart. That's really and that's funny. When, that's when Creighton Duke is there in the background. He's like, that, that's not going to get him. No, like, he's, he's, he's like, like I don't think yeah. so. <laughs> and immediately you're like, who the fuck is this? And like... Then it, he's like a camp cowboy. Like, yeah, that's how he comes across. I love it. Oh, uh, another piece of trivia that I'll spoil now. He, the actor, literally wouldn't agree. Like, only agreed to do the role on the um, condition that he could dress as a cowboy. What? Yeah, he insisted on dressing as a cowboy. I love that, <laughs> I love that so much. He has the most insane energy. I was I was watching this with a friend, and and both of us agreed at the time. No matter what you say about this movie, he is giving it his fucking all. A hundred percent. He is the most distinctive part of this film. Like when I think back to this film, the thing that stands out for me is Creighton Duke. I'm like, oh, it's someone with Creighton Duke in it. He knows how to do his like creepy smile. The way that he speaks almost reminds me of Johnson from Peep Show. 
in that strange, yeah. smooth, slow kind of draw with that cheeky grin. But it's also bizarre. like a distinct cadence. Yeah, yeah. I think like Johnson is more like uh, staccato and sporadic, whereas he's more like s- the slower version of that. Like if you took Johnson and then slowed down to like 60%. <laughs> yeah. You know? <laughs> but that's because, the, yeah, he's he's giving it his fucking all all through this movie. And to skip ahead, that includes the middle bit where he's in jail because he decided to while wanting to help Diana just completely agitate her for no fucking reason and then gets arrested. And so there's never an explanation. The way he's giving information to Stephen is that he first demands that Stephen has to pay a price, which turns out to be that allowing Duke to break one of his fingers. Yeah. He's like, you got to pay a price, boy. Hey. Doesn't he break two of his fingers? Yeah, because it's for each piece of information. He's it's like, bizarre. he's like, Jason's still alive, and if you want to know, I gotta know that you're serious. You gotta pay a price. And then he's like, okay, and he just snaps one of his fingers. I thought it was because he was okay. This was my interpretation of that scene because I found it baffling. I thought he was breaking his fingers so that Stephen could be like, help, I'm in pain, and then kind of escape from prison. But even in doing that. That I thought he they were doing that, but then Stephen is like, ow, ow, and a guy just rushes to him before he can even look at his hand. Yes. He just punches him. So I was like, clearly it couldn't have been a distraction because he didn't even show him I'm injured. That's what I was going to say. He just fully attacked him. I had the same thought. I was like, I guess he's doing it so that he can call for help, but then it doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter. <laughs> it, doesn't it doesn't matter. Pay off. He just wants to break <laughs> his fingers. In it's It's such a homoerotic scene. <laughs> The whole movie is really homoerotic because Duke clearly wants to, like, they're going to fuck so hard in that scene. This is after earlier Jason, like, ties down the sheriff. Or no, not the sheriff, the other officer to, like, shave his moustache while he's nude. Mm. In what, like, he's, like, in bondage. He's not just tied down. He's, like, fully in bondage and (laughs) Jason's above him. And it, he thinks he's going to kill him, and then he starts shaving him, which is also funny because he's shaving the guy's moustache, but the guy he's in in that moment has a moustache. You know, I'd rather the guy that played Creighton Duke only agreed to be in this film <laughs> if there could be homoerotic bondage scenes, which is fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> he's happily married and has three kids. Yeah, he just he just he li- he loves it. Yeah, it's just a big part of it. It's just like he's a, not even in those scenes. It's not even a sexual thing. It's just an appreciation. Appreciation for the art form. Yeah. That's again, he's not in those scenes. He didn't necessarily need to be in there. He's just like, I think the movie needs it. Yeah, exactly. He read the script and he was like, I think I know what you can do with this scene. And if you get me on, I'll help you workshop it. But you've got to pay a price. <laughs> and he breaks out of Marcus's fingers. <laughs> yeah, the breaking fingers. <laughs> that was his idea. He would yeah. only appear in the film if he could break a character's he fingers. He actually broke John D- Demay's <laughs> fingers. <laughs> this, this movie also includes, and I'm gonna have to tweet it there's a there's a fucking news report about the the coroner uh breaking out and they're like speculating on if it's jason or something which the funniest frame i've ever seen is because it's i think it's like a american case files is the name of the show and it it, it's showing individually two guards and then a big stamp dead this coroner (laughs) dead this coroner (laughs) missing and then like turns it into a graphic of the three next to each other of dead missing dead and then just a big like do we think it's jason and then onto the screen yes (laughs) and so it just says dead dead missing yes apparently that's how you can remember which of henry the eighth's wives like died or something (laughs) it's like dead missing dead dead missing yes yeah yeah yeah. i i love that um i I, do this is totally a tangent but i remember on twitter seeing that there was like some kids dancing show and when the kids were voted out they would have this gray graphic like they would make a like a photo of them they'd turn it gray and then put eliminated over it and so there was just a series of photos of the cutest kids ever with eliminated stamped on them <laughs> so fucking good oh my god i love that before even getting into the like some of the the the, the violence and like the, the the gore and stuff I got to talk about one of the other batshit scenes, which is when he's randomly killing the kids who like literally the main guy just stumbles upon them. They're like three teenagers who are going to the camp because two of them are going to have sex and the other one's going to just hang out nearby. Don't know yeah, why she was into that coming. Poor third wheel. And she clearly wanted to hook up with Steven as well when he was on yeah. the way to Diana's place. And he, he was just like, kind of like, oh boy. But he she could, was hot and looking yeah. up and down. And he, he goes, aha, like, oh. youth. But he's wearing a Letterman jacket. Yeah. He, he seemed to be both like 20 and 35. Yeah. It was, anyway. Yeah. Uh, outside of that, they go to the camp. 
the you know she the one the third wheel gets killed and then the others go to have sex and then the guy pulls out a condom and then the woman shakes her head and i was immediately like that's that's them saying that's why it's okay they're getting killed I thought she really wanted to use the condom. No, she shook her head. No, but she kept being like, I'll go get a condom. And she jumps up and goes to grab one and then brings it back. And he's like, oh, I hate these things. I don't think so. Yeah, I swear to God. She's literally just like, I'll, I'll go out and get the condom. Uh, either way, they agree not to. Yeah, I thought he forced her not to. No, no, no. It was really they, weird. They definitely agree not to because it's that's why the movie is saying they should get killed. I think if you have sex in general, you're going to get killed, dude. No, no, no. But but you can tell that that's the reason because a couple shots later, Jason's approach is earmarked by a shot of the condom on the ground and him stepping on it. That's true. <laughs> Which is one of the most like funny and on-the-nose shots in every Friday the 13th movie. And I found out I wanted to move the trivia to here because of that. After the film was released, the Wall Street Journal called it a return to morality in cinema because of the scene where they're both murdered while having sex after deciding not to use a condom. (laughs) I think she makes a whole hoo-ha about getting the condom and he's like, I don't want to use it. And then they must agree because she goes out of the tent to grab it and her friend is gone and she notices and she's like, oh. Yeah. Yeah. And she's being like, I really want to use a condom. And he's like, no, I hate those things. Either way, the the point is that they don't use it and then they get murdered because of it yeah but there's some cool things like the guy getting liquefied later mm. that was kind of neat but then there's the little demon baby it's neat <laughs> the little like when he when the when his head gets cut off later and the little like snake demon baby crawls out what the fuck when did i miss that how did you miss snake that? baby demon right okay when? so towards the end yeah where they're like setting up the trap to try and get jason there mm. and then jason's about to kill the, jason in the body of the guy with the suspenders yeah he's about to kill the baby and then john de la Bay comes in like steven comes in with a machete yeah and almost cuts off his head and then he's on the ground and then out from the neck crawls a little snaky demon baby i think thing. i do remember that yeah yeah because it's the most insane thing is that jason's true form is we'll the need snaky to tweet demon a photo baby. of it yeah so that all memories can be including like it flies at steven and he's like holding it <laughs> as it's going and he's like ah and throws it under the floorboards where it presumably crawls into diana's ute Ew! And then she arrives as full Jason, which is so weird. I don't know why when he's revived, he's back to his like undead and beaten form. Yeah. He's fully revived. By the way, when you're talking about like a car ute, you mean uterus, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because that's what they stand for. Yeah. Yeah. If you drive a ute. You're driving a uterus. It's a holding uterus. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Well, I'm sure a lot of babies were born in there. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely consummated. Definitely created in the back of a ute. Yeah. Uh, but, but before I go into the trivia, I know I'm dragging it, but I just, I, this movie's so funny. And like the very end sequence of this movie where they go, they run outside and then Jason starts having like, what, like lights. I mean, when he, when the coroner eats his heart, all the demon lights go into him. And yeah. then later when he's outside and getting fought, the lights start coming out of him. The lights are insane. When he yeah. does eventually get, I love all the weird graphics of like in that final fight scene where like he's getting stabbed and it's all these like orangey swirly colors yeah. coming out of him. It's just yeah. bizarre. And you know, they've drawn that shit on. Oh, absolutely. But then there's like a spotlight on the ground and all like hands a la like that one scene in Labyrinth uh, burst out yeah. of the ground to, to drag him to hell. Yeah. <laughs> It's it's such a kind of neat sequence of him literally getting dragged to hell and then as he does like the light circle kind of encloses in. Mm. It's it's not at all what people get out of <laughs> Friday the 13th. I will say there's a bit in the final fight scene where Steven is getting dragged down with Jason mm. and Jessica's just kind of watching. Yeah. Like I feel like she's yeah. not really jumping to attention enough. Yeah. She's just kind of like there's not even an emotion on her face that depicts horror or anguish or I'm so scared, I'm paralyzed. She's just kind of like observing. Yeah. And then eventually she just kind of offers him her hand. Well, she was of two minds about him the whole movie. <laughs> yeah. Because he... But to the point of wanting him to die. <laughs> He's like a bad dad ex-partner. <laughs> implicate. It's never fully explained or yeah. anything. And yeah, I think she's kind of like, should I save him? I? We, we're kind of done here. Yeah. Well, so when like, Creighton Duke has her baby. Yeah. She's still also very nonchalant about the entire thing. <laughs> Wait, didn't we figure out that... No, we're talking about nonplussed. Yeah. You and I. Yeah. She was nonchalant about she was the nonchalant. entire thing. Yeah. She was just kind of like, I want my baby back. 
this dude has your baby baby. and a huge dagger and he's holding your baby hostage it's 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 jessica doesn't have a lot of emotions no she doesn't she doesn't have a big emotional landscape she has more of an emotion when like leslie jordan and the diner owner yeah get killed otherwise it's just kind of like a, an indifference yeah. to the entire plot oh my god it's i'm kind related of to who what where's my baby you're gonna Jason, die that's so crazy oh my god hey do you want to hear some trivia yeah so the Magnum PI writer G. Hughley did the first uh, draft for Jason Goes to Hell, and it was apparently awful and impossible to understand. Cunningham was coming up against a deadline as New Line needed to see a script within a couple of days or else they'd cancel the whole thing. So he recruited my boyfriend's back writer, Dean Laurie, and sat with him in a room for four days and wouldn't let him leave until they had a script they could film. (laughs) Wouldn't let him leave? In the process, they basically threw out all of Hughley's work. Laurie stayed on as an ever-present sounding board on set, but Cunningham also had Louis Abernathy, who wrote Deep Star Six, and Leslie Bohm, who wrote A Night Mare on Elm Street 5, The Dream Child, perform uncredited rewrites. Specifically, Abernathy wrote the opening sequence and Boehm did a last-minute polish over a weekend. Boehm, later the writer of Daylight and Dante's Peak, was keen that his name not be attached, so in the closing credits, he's simply listed as the executive typist. It's strange that we keep... Executive typist. It's strange that we keep coming across these screenwriters that are desperate to not be attached to these films. Well, I mean, these these are not famously bad movies. No one wants to be crazy. <laughs> associated with them. Um, the film marked Adam Marcus's debut feature, having just graduated from film school. He was originally attached to direct My Boyfriend's Back, which I mentioned earlier because the writer Dean Laurie wrote that movie. Um, for Touchstone Pictures, but the studio's parent company, Walt Disney, did not want to hire a first-time director, and Marcus was dropped from the project. Marcus, who was a lifelong fan of the Friday the 13th series and was the apprentice editor for Susan Cunningham during post-production on Friday the 13th Part 2, was brought in as director and developed a story in which Voorhees is destroyed at the beginning of the narrative only to manifest in the bodies of other people to and continue his rampage. Uh, he also um, he was also brought in by Cunningham, allegedly under the notion that he must remove Jason's hockey mask. Cunningham denied ever telling Marcus to, and I quote, find a way to get rid of that fucking mask. However, Marcus rebukes Cunningham's claim and insists that he did not have the level of creative control required to get rid of the mask. Uh-huh. Um, which I just love <laughs> that he apparently went get rid of that fucking mask. Well, apparently he didn't. Okay, yeah, he th- Cunningham fully would have said that. He's that guy. Marcus decided that he wanted to create the most deliberately stereotypical and cliche-ridden opening of the film as possible to toy with the audience's expectations, only for the story to take an unexpected turn in Jason's uh, death by the hands of the SWAT team. Wham. <laughs> and also, the color of the visual effects were chosen by Marcus. Okay. That's, that's it. <laughs> um... He also is quoted as saying, New Line left me completely alone on Jason Goes to Hell, and they were completely happy. They made a bunch of money, so they had no complaints. And what did anyone expect? It's part nine of Friday the 13th. Did you see part six, part seven, part eight? (laughs) He makes a good point. (laughs) Um, But Cunningham said, for me, it is way past an embarrassment. The body morphing plot, it was a dismal idea. I suspected that early on, but the finished film completely proved it. I made many, many mistakes. Adam What's he upset about? He made like a $12 million profit. I I don't get... Cunningham sounds like he's fully unhinged. Sounds like he genuinely thinks there's still some integrity left in this franchise. Yeah, I think... That's what's surprising. I think he thinks of himself as a creative, like almost auteur, like yeah. a shepherd of the, of the franchise yeah. with a very specific vision that is also bad. Yeah. Um, saying, I made many, many mistakes. Adam came to me and said, the last thing the fans want is to see Jason going through Camp Crystal Lake, chopping up teenagers again. Of course, it was the only thing they wanted to see. And Adam delivered this movie that was so not good. (laughs) So not good. Um, Here's here's another one that proves, in my opinion, just how untethered uh, Sean Cunningham, I can see in my notes, is. Yeah. Sean Cunningham has long since believed Actors never took their cues fast enough, meaning it would take them just a couple of seconds too long to, for example, go out of a room through a door because they'd be too busy emoting. (laughs) 
His what? Pa- <laughs> his passive aggressive solution was not to communicate more clearly to the actors, or in my opinion, just cut the edit more tightly, but instead shoot at 22 frames per second <gasps> instead of 24, thinking the increased speed would eliminate any slight hesitation what? from the actor. What? This... Obviously, put all the audio out of whack, but he fixed that with a harmonizer so he could repitch it. Oh my god! <laughs> Cunningham puts this technique to the test on Deep Star Six and liked the results enough to force Marcus to employ the method while filming Jason Goes to Hell. What does he mean? They're too busy emoting. <laughs> this- Isn't that their one job? Is to visually emote. This is what I mean. This guy hates movies. Friday the Thirteenth <laughs> was successful enough that he was just able to like become like considered an opinion that is valuable and he just isn't (laughs) and like yeah even the first film sucked dude you made nothing of quality yeah an unexpected though obvious consequence of filming everything at a slightly faster frame rate was that where they thought they had a 90 minute film they only had actually 80 minutes (laughs) (laughs) that's so funny (laughs) where did that extra 10 minutes ago there's those two seconds, man. <laughs> it's just... So there's two frames per second. It's just crazy that he wouldn't... If we crunch the numbers on this, two frames per second for 90 minutes will minus out 10 minutes of content. Pretty much. <laughs> like, because that that's what happens when you uh, internationally... Like, I've had this happen on features I've worked on where we shoot at 25 because that's the Oz standard mm. and then have to uh, retime it to 24 for, like, American releases. Yeah. And so it ends up being slightly shorter. I love how in The Hobbit they like upped the frames per minute for per second to be like forty eight, and it made it yeah. look like a set. Yeah, it took away all of like the fantasy of it. It just made them look like they were in these big, beautiful sets. It was too hyper realistic. Yeah, it's why an opinion that gamers have that that I, I understand the areas where I'm wrong or whatever. I hate when games are sixty frames per second. Yeah, I hate that the hill they want to die on in video games is that it has to be sixty frames per second yeah. because then every time there's a cutscene, I find it so distractingly awful. Yeah, fair enough. Like playing, replaying through Uncharted when it was locked at sixty frames, uh, awful, was awful. It? Why uh, th- they did that for like the remaster of it? Okay, I hate it. I hate it so much. Right. Takes away all the cinema magic of it. Mm. I understand it's better for like fighting games and sports games and mm. stuff, but like for for anything cinematic, no, yeah. don't make don't make me do it. <laughs> I they lost ten minutes of so runtime. It's just unhinged. It was just ten useless minutes of emoting. You know, it's just crazy because he's like thinking he's breaking ground. It's like there's a reason that no one does that. Maybe there's a reason Jessica isn't that upset about her baby disappearing <laughs> or that worried about Stephen getting pulled yeah. into the into hell with Jason. It's All just because we didn't have the time. <laughs> it got they cut together. it out, yeah. <laughs> um, a shower scene involving actress Carrie Keegan resulted in Marcus being removed from set, so he's not the hero of this, due to a dispute between the two as the actress protested from uh, doing nudity for the film. Keegan- Was this the actress that played Jessica? Or uh, Jessica, yeah. Okay, yeah. Keegan says she told them from the get-go she wouldn't do nudity while Marcus maintains she was never up front with him about that. In- there's so many of these and that's never the truth. Oh, Christ. We've encountered that a lot as well. Yeah. Remember how I was talking On- to you about like basic instinct one where yeah. Sharon Stone was like, can you cut out the shot of my pussy? And he was like, nah. Yeah. And on Jason Takes Manhattan. Yeah. There's, There's a- so many instances of women being like, oh, and in like um, fucking My Sister is a Werewolf where yeah. I've forgotten her name already, but the one that played Sheba yeah. was like, I don't want nudity. And they were like, let's, we'll just do one shot of nudity. And then they used it like, 20, 20 times and yeah. she was so heartbroken really put a damper on such a fantastic film experience yeah yeah um keegan counters that marcus knew but kept telling everyone he'd be able to convince her to change her mind which totally sounds like something they do during the sh- shower scene the water was so hot that she was literally crying from pain <gasps> keegan complained about the whole thing to her agent who then argued with everyone in the production especially marcus well Cun- i'm glad that her agent was like sticking yeah, up for her i love that we stand Carrie Keegan's agent. Yeah. Cunningham would step in as director in place of Mar- Marcus for the f- uh, for the film. Jesus, sorry, this is written terribly. For the uh, last few days of film, approximately half the film was reshot as Cunningham was unsatisfied with the initial cut of <laughs> the film. Shit. Which is also another piece of trivia that I found that uh, apparently the only one watching the dailies was the editor. So no one had any clue what was shot the entire time they were filming. 
Wait, so did Cunningham step in to film that one shower scene with this woman because she couldn't get along with Marcus and then he continued to get the rest of the film, like Mm -hmm. to reshoot a bunch of it? What it sounds like is that Cunningham already, there was a point where the footage finally got reviewed after like eight to ten days or something and it was fucking awful. Right. And if anything, this was a great excuse for Cunningham to just cut Marcus out entirely and take over and reshoot fully half And so did Marcus ever come back from Cunningham reshooting or was that just it? That was kind of it. So how much did Marcus end up shooting? Well, he shot like two-thirds of the film or something, but then it almost all got cut out, like reshot. So it was mostly just directed by Cunningham? Mostly just Cunningham. Holy shit. Um... How bad was it if this was the better version? Well, it's funny because a lot of it is apparently like first time director mistakes, like the diner scene being almost entirely slow-mo. Yeah. But also I feel like some of the more interesting directorial things are probably him trying to be like an engaging, you know, post film school director. Yeah. Um, So who knows? It's not like Cunningham is a fucking auteur, but... The downside is that Carrie Keegan's negative experience working on the film and her antagonistic relationship with uh, Adam Marcus eventually caused her to quit acting for good. Fuck, that happens all the time. Yeah. There's so many young women that become disillusioned by being an actress because of how much they have to basically objectify themselves to get roles. Be yeah. objectified by men. It's just fucking annoying. Um, I've got I've got a couple more that I'll go yeah. through. Um. In 2017, Adam Marcus revealed something that people would have already noticed but officially talked about, the fact that it is uh, there is intentional connections and references to the Evil Dead franchise. Mm. Uh, notably, when they go to the Voorhees Manor, again, to me, a really funny concept. Is, you- does, is the manor established in, like, the third or fourth film or something. I have no idea. Maybe it was because there's no manner in the first film. No. There's no manner in the eighth or nope. tenth film. This fully might be the first time it's introduced. Um, when they go there, because well, this is the first time that it's introduced, like that Jason has an extended family. Mm. Um, when they go there, uh, you might remember, I think Stephen finds like a book that looks very particular. That is the Necronomicon from the Evil Dead. And the dagger is also from there as well. Mm -hmm. The implication is meant to be that Pamela Voorhees, Jason's mom, used the Necronomicon to bring, uh, to bring back Jason. And that's why he's an undead. Or in particular, as Adamaka said, that means, uh, wait, he said... He's Jason plus the evil dead. And now I can believe that he goes from a little boy that lives in a lake to a full grown man in a couple of months to zombie Jason to never being able to kill that guy. That to me is way more interesting as a mashup. And Sam Raimi loved it. It's not like I could tell New Line my plan to include the evil dead because they don't own the evil dead. So it had to be an Easter egg and I did focus on it. There's a whole scene that includes the book and I hope people would get it and could figure out that uh, that that's what I'm up to. So yes, in my opinion, Jason Voorhees is a deadite. He's one of the evil dead. Uh, notably as well, the prop master from Evil Dead, because the those props would have been taken without permission. That, uh, then afterwards said that he w- will never lend out any of his props again. Oh my God. He never would have agreed to it in the first place. Yeah. Cause I get that thing of like often actors and directors want to keep the props cause they have a connection to it. But I understand why the prop master would cause they made it. It's yeah. their work that they made, yeah. you know? Whereas when the studios keep it, I'm like, ah, fuck you. Yeah. I don't care about you. Um, here's one. God, there's, there's even more, but I'll end on this one. Because I think you'll love it. Okay. Kane Hodder, who portrays Jason, was severely burned over much of his body during a stunt gone wrong some years prior to this movie, which Ooh. I think we might have mentioned before. As a result, his skin below the neck is somewhat discolored and disfigured. One day after filming, he was peeling the Jason costume and makeup off his body when the young child of a crew member who was brought to the set to see what it was like to film, make a film became frightened of his burnt skin. Hodder calmly and sweetly picked up and hugged the child and told him that his body just looked a bit different and that there was nothing to be afraid of. Hodder let the child touch the skin on his arm to see that it didn't hurt him. The child immediately calmed down and had a fun time talking to Hodder. It was seeing this and later hearing that Hodder spent much of his free time at children's hospitals that made director Adam Marcus realize that, despite often playing violent or evil characters, Hodder had a heart of gold. That's so sweet. It's so sweet. I love that you thought I would love it because it was wholesome, but I was hoping the whole time that some kind of maniacal twist would occur in the story. I thought you'd love it because I... Maybe I'm misremembering. I thought you were a full Kane Hodder fan. I am a, I yeah. am a Kane Hodder fan. That's why I thought you'd like it. Because <laughs> it's very pro Kane Hodder. Um, also, just to end it, because he played the Freddy arm at the end, he's the only actor to play both Jason and Freddy. Wow. 
Wow. Yeah. It's great that you can like stick a little contraption on the onto your fingers and then yeah. just kind of plunge it through dirt and you've played the character. <laughs> yeah, that's really funny. Mm. Um, do you want to hear some reviews? Oh, yeah. Reviews! All right, so this has 20% on Rotten Tomatoes and this is... 4.1 on IMDb. Oh, we're here, baby. We're took a while. Finally, out of the 4.2s. Yes. The the speed is going to accelerate. <laughs> I think, like many of this era, it, the score is a lot lower. Something happened in 2020 that, like, afterwards decreased a lot of the things that are on this list. Yeah. Um, Carrie, well, no, Carrie, Corey Wilcoxon of the Courier Journal said the plot is ridiculous, the dialogue wooden, and the acting a laugh. But you know that going in. The question is, is it scary? Not really. It's more disgusting than frightening. <laughs> um, and here's some IMDb reviews. <laughs> uh, this first one is, this chapter is fully packed. Dot, 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 dot. By, oh my God. Sorry. The, I said, oh my God, because there's no underscores or anything. So I'm having to interpret where there's the breaks. Dr. A. Hull Raj. You nailed it. Yeah. Dr. Ahulra J.J. Sudde. No, that's it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, and they said, my second feature on this... <laughs> I love when reviews are written as if we know the story of the person. Yeah. My second feature on this night of Friday the 13th, May 2016, which is funny because the review says it's written 24th of September 2017, was this ninth installment directed... Are ruminating a year and a half on? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Directed by Adam Marcus, it is Kane Hodder's third time playing and doing stunts for the iconic slasher and stars Carrie Keegan, John D. LeMay, Stephen Culp, Stephen Williams, and others. This chapter is fully packed with gore, sex, fun, and everything a Jason Voorhees fan would love. Spectacular special effects from masters Robert Kurtzman, Gregory Nicotero. Hey, Greg Nicotero! I didn't notice him in the credits. Who's Greg Nicotero? He ended up, uh, he's like fucking makeup superstar. Mm. He ended up being an executive producer in Walking Dead. Oh. Which is where I first found out that he's an important person in Going from like a makeup Hollywood effects. artist or effects artist to like a producer is a pretty good big well, cause, leap. Because he was just the head of the, the makeup. But in, in that show, the zombie look and aesthetic and stuff is so, so integral yeah, yeah. that he's just, he's like partly running the show. That's sick. I think that's really cool. Um, without these three guys, we wouldn't have tons of films with remarkable special effects, and this film is on that list. I respect all the guys who played Jason, but Kane Hodder will always be the number one guy for this character. He's the breathing and walking Jason. He was born for the role. I love how, like, unanimously everyone loves Kane Hodder. Yeah. It's because he had a heart of gold. A few surprises in this, especially the ending. A real shocker when I saw it the first time. Best ending ever! (laughs) 10 out of 10. (laughs) Love it. Uh, This one's titled Great by The Creeper. Although this film gets a little too, gets a little to sci-fi, it still has one high body count, two good looking teenagers. Ew. God. Ew. Yeah, The Creeper's Uh, right, you fucking perv. God, I just forgot it until I read it. Three, an unbeatable Jason Voorhees and four, gore and violence. What more could you ask for? Nothing, in my opinion. <laughs> also, this sorry, this bit is title is written as if it's a title, you know, like with the all uh, first letter capital. All the also, this film has much better acting, special effects, sound quality, and picture quality. Good to rent. Ten out of ten. Good to rent. <laughs> yeah, ten out of ten. Good to rent. <laughs> Wouldn't go see it in theaters. <laughs> Um, this one's titled What a Great Movie by Porkchop Express. <laughs> now, this is an original. Dun, dun, dun. A Jason movie without Jason. Well, sort of. When, an F- when, a-, when a FBI sting operation traps Jason, they kill him. Actually blow him up. But that really doesn't do the job. While the FBI coroner is doing Jason's autopsy, his oversized heart starts beating. Somehow his soul is still alive and enters the coroner. This is where the film takes a sci-fi approach. Like the movie The Hidden. His soul travels from body to body in search of being reborn. Now some of the F-13 fans didn't like this movie. Most likely since the hockey masked one wasn't in it like he usually is. But if you like sci-fi movie, take a chance on this one. It's a fresh start for the F-13 series. You know, the final Friday, fresh start. (laughs) 
plus the first one done by New Line Cinema. But the best part about this movie is that the video release is the director's cut, which has a ton of scenes that didn't make it in the theater. Plus, this film has the best effects, being done by the brilliant KNB group. Given this, give this movie a chance. It is a lot of fun. Keep an eye out for little details, such as his unrelentless killing instinct. <laughs> ten out <laughs> of the, ten. That's the smallest detail of the film. His, his teeny, his teeny detail. Unrelenting ki- killing instinct. <laughs> yeah. That's it's, not a detail. It's unrelentless killing instinct. <laughs> and it's so small. <laughs> It the entire film. Um, and this is the last one. I don't call them traits. I call them little details. <laughs> Normally I like to do t- two or three, but this is a short one and I liked it. This one's titled Jason by W.S. Mama. I guess Mama. Uh, loved this movie. Dun, dun, dun. It took me a few times to watch it to really enjoy it as I was 15 when it came out. I'm now almost 42 and own a combo of Jason Goes to Hell and the Jason X I hope one day there will be a follow-up that my friend Adam Marcus will be able to do. My friend? <laughs> yeah, I know. Does he know him personally? 10 out of 10. Oh, my God. Maybe WS Mama summit meets it's Adam Marcus's mum. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> this is written by Adam Marcus for sure. <laughs> well, you know, that's a bunch of people on IMDb, though. What was your review? Oh. <laughs> I, it was such good fun. It yeah. was. It was really, really good fun. It was ridiculous. It was campy. I we always have fun with the Friday the Thirteenth films. Yeah. Again, I'll I've said this a million times. I'll say it again. It's no longer about quality. It's about how we can endure these films. Mm. And this was great. This was a fun time. Four point five out of ten. Four point five. Four point five out of ten. Four point five. I stand by my rating. Four point five. No, 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 no. This is a two point six. With the caveat that everyone should watch this movie. 4.5. 2.6 and everyone should watch it. It's not a fight, Michelle. It's a fight. Who will win, you? Who will <laughs> win, you? <laughs> <laughs> Who will win? Me. Who will win, Abby? <laughs> Unless it's to the death and then me. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> As established. You have the persistence and the determination and you're genuinely like stronger than you appear. Thank you. You're welcome. It's my hidden muscle, which I call, please don't kill me. <laughs> um, but, you know, that's what that's what we think. And if you were listening to that and went, I like what these girls think. <laughs> that's pretty neat. What, what do they think on other topics? Well, you can find the other episodes of this on social media. You know, you can follow us on Twitter at Rate Descend Pod or TikTok at Rating Descending. Or even it, you could email us at ratingdescending at gmail.com. I always love the emails. I love to read them out and engage. Mm. You can also find us on our personal accounts. I'm on Instagram under Abigail J. Ward. And I'm on both Twitter and Instagram at Michelle.StClair. And please, fucking please, leave us a review. Yeah. Even if, anywhere you get your podcast, so if it's on Apple Podcasts, if it's on iTunes, even, can you leave reviews on iTunes? I don't know if it's on Spotify. You can't leave reviews on Spotify. Wherever you get your podcast, yeah, you can you can leave reviews on Spotify these days. Yeah, you can do a rating. I don't think you can write anything. No, you can't write anything. Yeah, the trick is is that even if you don't like it, you should leave a review. You just have to make sure it's five because it's at, they're out yeah. of ten for sure. Yeah, hundred yeah, percent. So, so if five is like a good five. year. Yeah, yeah. Are we like a good year? Yeah. Probably. So give, give us five stars. <laughs> uh, but hey, that was Jason Goes to Hell. What are we watching next week? Michelle, next week we're watching the 2020 film Artemis Fowl. Hell yeah. Based I, on the bookies. I loved those books as a kid. I didn't read them. I, I know almost no one who read them. Yeah, I'm no, so I mean, keen to talk about this But it's movie. such a popular franchise. Yeah. Everyone's heard of it, but no one's read it. Um, I read it. <laughs> we'll join us next week, guys. Yeah, I'll uh, catch you then with the other big, big reading dorks with that fucking smart little boy. Who's the smart little boy? Artemis Fell. He's oh, the smart yes. little boy. Yeah. Yeah. I'm Adam. <laughs> <laughs>